Andrews University joins the nation this next week in remembering September 11, 10 years ago. There has been a vast swath of America that would have that very testimony Marguerite has sung. Our lives irrevocably, irreparably changed ten years ago. As a part of the commemoration, the university has invited an imam from Detroit to be here on campus. And he will be joining us at the House of Prayer in this sanctuary Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. I will interview him. Our Muslim friends and neighbors are a people of prayer. Seventh-day Adventists are also a people of prayer. And I hope that you will come Wednesday evening and join us right here, 7 o'clock at the House of Prayer. They are considered among the most sublime of all words in sacred literature. The prologue of the fourth gospel, only 18 verses long. And yet in these short verses, of this majestic introduction, the story of the universe and you and me and God is captured. And so as we did last Sabbath, before we pray today, I'd like to read the words of the prologue with you. Pull out your Bible, whatever translation you've brought this morning. I have the New King James here. We're going to read these eight short verses together. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible right in front of you. Our brand new series, The Last Word, the fourth gospel for a final generation. I want to read the prologue again with you. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Let's pray. Oh God, we sang in a moment of God, we sang in a moment ago, Word of God, Word of God, speak. We're asking that again. A few moments together. But, oh, word of God, speak for your children. Listen. In the name of the word we pray. Amen. Would you like to see what it looked like? What it looked like when the word became flesh. I found a stunning piece of video on YouTube, and I want to share it with you. But before we put it up, here's what I want you to be doing. Please, please. As you see this this footage, I want you to be imagining that what you're actually seeing is the Word of God being made flesh. God Himself in human fetal form. Watch. Isn't that amazing? That's the way it was when you were born. In fact, I was thinking it kind of looked like you as I was looking at that image. That's the way it was when I was born. That's the way it was when Jesus was born. And who's this Jesus? He's the Word made flesh. But here's the question. How could it possibly be that our human, finite minds could comprehend this notion that the infinite creator God of the universe reduced himself into a zygote, a fertilized egg in the womb of a teenager. How can it be? And yet, that is the one-line Christmas narrative here in the fourth gospel. The Christmas story, just one line long in the Gospel of John, but I'd like to brood over that Christmas story with you on this holiday weekend, not Christmas. Pull out your Bible again if you closed it. Didn't pull out the Bible the first time, pull it out now. With me, ruminate over these words. Verse 14, John 1, verse 14, page 714 in your pew Bible. Grab that one. I want you to just let the Word come in. We just sang it a moment ago. Word of God, speak. Let the Word speak. 
By the way, I love this idea of these Andrew Study Bibles circulating. Thank you, Pastor Jose, for that idea, beautiful idea. I don't know if they've come by your way, but we're going to, when we get these Bibles all marked up, they'll become gifts for somebody, knowing that they were marked in the worship of the community of Andrews University at the Pioneer Memorial Church. So thank you for what you did. All right, this is John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word... By the way, did you know that this is the only other place in the prologue where the name Word appears? In the first teaching last week as we embarked on this journey, we read it in the opening salvo. Let's read it again. Verse 1. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. We noted from our study last week that the Word shares the eternity and the deity of Almighty God Himself, but He is a separate being from Almighty God. So who, who is this Word? Oh, verse 14 declares, He's the one who became flesh, and the Word was made flesh. Thus John's opening salvo is quick and clear. What he's telling us, the Christ child asleep in Bethlehem's manger was none other than the eternal God made flesh. That's all the Christmas story John has. No angels, no shepherds, no wise men, only the enfleshment of God. And the word became, became, do you know what? The Greek word for became is already used in the prologue. It was used twice in verse 3. Notice verse 3. All things were made. There it is. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The last two was made are the identical Greek word. So he, the word, made everything. Now get the, impl the profound implications. Get this. He, the word, created the entire universe. He made everything. That's verse 3. And in verse 14, the word, same word, was made. See, was made, which means that the creator of the entire cosmos and the, un the universe, the creator himself, made himself. He made himself into a zygote. You remember that from biology, don't you? He made himself into a zygote implanted in a teenage womb. Wow. How'd he do it? We're not told. In fact, the only word, here's the, here's the word the Bible uses for what, what, what John is trying to describe here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's all we know. The enfleshment of God, a mystery. But I tell you what, if there's ever a generation who might be able to probe and brood over this mystery. It ought, to be, it ought to be this one. Given our genetic engineering and stem cell research today, such, such a possibility is no longer beyond imagining, thanks to science today. And the Word became the Creator transforming Himself into the creature inside that little girl's womb. Here's what He looked like. This is Take a look here. This is what he looked like. That is a human fetus. Just hold that on the screen. That is the word became. That's what he became. 
just like that. The eternal God talked inside that fertile, warm house, the uterus of this girl. And the Word, and the Word became flesh. By the way, that's a very interesting word, the word flesh. In the Greek, it's sarks. It's used in the New Testament to describe the human race, to describe our humanity, to also describe our fallen human nature. So which way is John using it here? What does he mean by that word? It's clear the way John is using it here. He's simply saying the word became human. That's what he's saying. The word became human. The divine being who was one with the Father but separate from the Father became a human being as well. Now look, I know this is a holiday weekend, all right? And I know that you put your mind on kind of a slow simmer. But I need you to think deep right now. I need you to think deep, please. I'm going to show you some words in just, a, in just a second. Some words from a Dutch commentator. They're heavy. You're going to have to probe. You're going to have to hang on. You're going to have to, to concentrate. The name of the commentator, Herman Ritterdoss. I'm going to put the words on the screen. Try to... Just grasp with me what, he, what he's trying to tell us. Put them on the screen. Let's go. To become flesh. All right? That's what we just read here in, in John 1.14. Herman Ritterboss. To become flesh is more than to appear in the, the, the sphere of flesh. That is, as Jesus of Nazareth. So it wasn't, hey, hey, guys, I'm here. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I'm, I'm now flesh. No, 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 no. It's more. It is to become flesh. It is an identification that though it is not further defined here or linked with the virgin birth, does mean that all the redemptive categories that we have just read in the prologue, talking about the Word is the life, the Word is the light of humanity, all the redemptive categories thus far attributed in the prologue to the Word, now hold on, now apply with the same absoluteness and exclusiveness to the man Jesus of Nazareth. So whoever this Jesus of Nazareth is, everything that's been said about the Word is now true about Him. Absoluteness exclusiveness. It all applies to this Jesus of Nazareth. And, keep reading, in his person as the possessor of that which belongs to God alone. This Jesus of Nazareth possesses what only God possesses. Completely, all of this completely transcends and exceeds the possibilities of a mere man. He cannot be a mere man, John is declaring. In other words, hey, let's unpack this just for a second. In other words, when the Word was born baby Jesus lying in the manger, all right? When the Word was born baby Jesus, he didn't just, he didn't just put on human nature like a suit of clothes. Hey, guys, I got my human nature on. How's it look? Does, do, I, do I look human enough? No. And he didn't take off his divine. Hey, listen, let me take off the divine so I can become human. No, 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 no. What John is trying to make sure we get to his careful language, is that the squalling baby that emerges from Mary's young womb was the Word, fully God, made flesh, fully man. Wow. And that point is so critical. That point is so profound. We've got to jot it down right now. Grab your new study guide. It's in your worship bulletin. Pull your new study guide out. Now, I'm going to get to, I'm going to, get to your cell phones in just a moment because you're going to use your smartphone or your cell phone right here because I need to hear from you. I'm getting to that. Not now. Pull out your study guide. Pull out your study guide. You didn't get a study guide? Thank you, ushers. Let's make sure everybody gets a study guide. Hold your hand up. If you came in with several of you and only one of you grabbed the study guide, you're going to want this study guide. Hold your hand up. Good. Their hands all the way to the back. Their hands up in the balcony. Those of you who are watching an overflow, 
Put your hand up. We'll get, the, we'll get study guides to you as well. Our youth chapel. We'll get study guides to you. Let's fill this in while it's still, still fresh in our minds. Okay, and while the ushers are doing that, let me welcome those of you who are watching on television right now. We're delighted to have you. I want you to have the same study guide. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Our website, when you go to that website, you can get the study guide. Let's put it on the screen. There it is. You see it? You see it at the bottom? www.pmchurch.tv www.pmchurch.tv You're looking for a brand new series called The Last Word, The Fourth Gospel for a Final Generation. see the big banner at the top. You know where that series is. This is teaching number two. Title of this teaching, The Enfleshment of God. And then when you see that, it'll say study guide. You click on, you'll have our identical study guide. And by the way, those of you watching live streaming right now, wherever you are on earth, we're glad to have you. You get your study guide while you're watching. It's sitting there already for you. All right, let's go. Everybody got a study guide? Keep your hands up. They're, they're working their way to you, but we need to go. Okay, so we fill out the first line. This is, this is a simple one. You won't have a, if you get your study guide late, you'll know what goes in there. And the Word became flesh, because that's what we're grappling with this morning. And the Word became flesh. The Christmas story according to John. And the Word became flesh. Now, to help us understand Herman uh, Ritterboss's vital point, we're going to go back to that quotation. We'll fill in some key words this time, and hopefully it will illumine the quotation. Let's go back to uh, Ritterboss, the Dutchman. To become flesh, he's writing now in his commentary on John, to become flesh is more than to appear in the sphere of the flesh, that is, as Jesus of Nazareth. To become flesh is an identification that though it is not further defined here or linked with the virgin birth, does mean that all the redemptive categories, Jesus, the, the Word was the life, the Word was the light of humanity, all those redemptive categories thus far attributed in the prologue to the Word. Key point. Jot that down. Everything that the prologue uses to describe the Word now, it's going to, get, it's going to show up somewhere else. All those redemptive categories of the Word now apply with the same absoluteness and exclusiveness. This cannot be for anybody else in the entire universe now apply to the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Jot that down. Jesus of Naz. Just write N-A-Z. I know it's a little short, short line there. I had to squinch it in. All of that, every prerogative of the Word now applies to Jesus of Nazareth and in His person. Look at this. In His person is a possessor of that which belongs to God alone. So Jesus of Nazareth possesses what only God can possess. That ought to tell you about His divinity. He possesses that which belongs to God alone. That means that all of this completely transcends and exceeds the possibilities of a mere man. He's not a mere man. Man, he's not a good teacher. Remember our teaching from last week. No, 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 no. Hence, keep your pen moving. Hence, the baby of Bethlehem was fully God and fully man. That is the prologue's point. Drama is about, I'll tell you what, we're going to love this gospel. Story after story after story. But this key point will be locked in our minds now. He's fully God and fully man. Keep your pen moving. And thus, Holy Scripture calls him both the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's why you read both of those titles in the New Testament. That's why, because he's both. It's the truth of the incarnation. Keep your pen moving. Incarnation is a Latin word, carnal. Carnal means flesh. So incarnation means enfleshment. Fill that in. 
infleshment. When you say God was incarnated, that means God became flesh. The infleshment of God. And the Word became flesh. Yeah, but come on, Dwight. Why why would the Word want to become flesh? What's the big deal? Let's look at the verse again. And the Word became or was made flesh and dwelt. Ah, and dwelt among us. Hey, do you remember the story that the late Paul Harvey... You remember Paul Harvey? You you knew who Paul Harvey was. You're not that... Yeah, you know who Paul Harvey is. All right. So, Paul Harvey used to love to tell this story every Christmas time. He'd tell it on his radio, huge syndication all all over the nation. Do you remember the Christmas story that he would tell? It was about this Christmas Eve blizzard. Do you remember this Christmas Eve blizzard? And the father who didn't believe this nonsense about God becoming man, which is the story of Christmas. Ah, I don't believe that stuff. And how in the howling snow of that dark night, you remember that? A flock of blackbirds sees this fireplace. They're, they're, they're looking for safety. They're looking for refuge. And they see this orange glow. Ah, there is safety. And the flo- th- that flock just comes shooting out of the stormy night. But thump, 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 thump. They didn't realize there's a window pane there. And now the little boy was with his daddy. And the little boy goes running. And he puts his hands on the, on the glass. He says, oh, daddy, daddy, look at them. They're, they're, they're thrashing about. Daddy, we got to do something. They'll freeze to death out here. You remember that story, don't you? How the father and the, the little boy bundle up in all their Michigan finest and they go trouncing out into the snow. And this is a piece of cake. We're going we're gonna to pick these birds up because we have a little shed right over there. We'll put them in. And you remember, they came, these giants. But when they stooped over to pick up the birds, how do you suppose the birds reacted? thrashing frantically backwards and get away from me, get away. The re- father realized, I'm not going to be able to get these birds. And so you remember how in the story, the little boy got the idea. He said, Daddy, look, at what we'll do is we'll open the door. I'll get some breadcrumbs and we'll, 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 we'll just, from where the birds are, we'll drop the crumbs. They'll eat the crumbs. We'll lead them right into safety. And so they do the breadcrumb thing. Does it work? Are you kidding? The birds don't have no idea what these breadcrumbs are for. Not the, no clue that they lead to salvation. Forget it. So Father says, okay, we'll do it the tough way. We're going to shoo them in. Whoa, 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 they try. And the birds go berserk. And more to himself than to his boy, in the howling winter blizzard, the Father says out loud, ah, if only I could become one of these blackbirds. I could speak their language. They would trust me. And I could tell them, guys, you've got to go there to be saved. And as Paul Harvey, in his inimitable style, as he tells it just then, through the howl of the wind, the Christmas Eve bells began to ring. And the Father knew the truth of God becoming man. Just a simple little parable. But it explains to a degree, does it not? It explains effectively why it was the Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that He could be one of us, so that He could share our life, so that He could share our language, so He could lead us to safety. But, but, whoa, whoa, whoa. The prologue of John is much deeper than Paul Harvey's parable. The prologue of John says, whoa, there's much more to this. Watch this. The Greek word. The Greek word for dwelt. Is the verb form is the verb form of a noun that the old that the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, a noun used to describe the sanctuary or the tabernacle. You remember that little portable church they, they carried all through the wilderness? You remember that? Same word. 
I mean, you know, you know what that portable church was? A bunch of badger skins on the outside. Badger skins, but inside of it, the very glory of Almighty God. John takes that same word, turns it into a verb. And he says, that's what's happening. In fact, some, some scholars believe, listen to this, that the reason the Septuagint translators chose the word skene, skene, for tabernacle, the reason they chose that word was because it had the same consonants as the Hebrew word for Shekinah in the English. Esh, S, K, N. Same consonants. Ah, just badger skins on the outside, but Shekinah, eternal glory on the inside. And the word, and the word became flesh. In fact, we'll put it on the screen. This is the way you could read it. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled. He pitched His tent among us, and we beheld His glory. You see, guys, that's, that, that's the whole point. It's not just enough for, for God to get up close to us so that we're not afraid of this big creature coming at us so that He can speak our language and lead us to safety or salvation. No, 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 no. The prologue says, no, there's also another critical reason why the Word would become flesh, and that is so that we might behold the glory of God. Now, here's the question. Has the glory of God already been seen on earth by the time they write this? Yeah, of course. Remember the burning bush? Shh, glory of God. You remember that tall pillar of cloud or fire? Glory of God. You remember Mount Sinai going crazy with that pyrotechnics explosion at the top? Glory of God. The most holy place in that tabernacle? Glory of God. They've already seen the physical glory of God. But when John uses the word glory, he's not talking about the physical glory of God. He's talking about the glory of this life that will culminate in this mighty climax at Calvary. It's the glory of God. Of God's character. In fact, you remember the story? You remember the meltdown that the children of Israel dancing in front of the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai? You remember that? After that meltdown has been taken care of and Moses has pleaded for the lives of the people, Moses says, and he, he prays this prayer in Exodus 33:18, and I have this prayer right where I have worship every morning. I love this prayer in the old King James. I beseech thee, O God, show me thy glory. You remember that prayer? He wanted to see God's glory? Remember that? Yeah. So God says, okay, come on up to the mountain. What did Moses see? Pyrotechnics? Are you kidding? God says, I'm going to put my hand over you. You're just going to see my back. But what did God do when he walked by? He described his, his what? His character. That's the glory. The earth is not seen. A full self-revelation of God seen in the life of the Word made flesh. Which means that in this series, as we track the Word made flesh, we are seeing God every single time. How he behaves, that's God. How he cares, that's God. How he loves, that's God. The glory that pinnacles at Calvary. Whoa. Listen to this. Desire of ages, you have to fill this in. It's classic on the, on the life of Christ. Put the, screen, uh, the, the words on the screen. But the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their song. It will be seen that the glory, here, here it goes now, the glory shining in the face of Jesus is the glory, write it in, of self-sacrificing love. Would you fill that in, please? Self-sacrificing love. That's the glory. The glory shining in the face of the Word made flesh. 
The glory of self-sacrificing love. Keep reading. In the life from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love. You know what self-renouncing love is? When you want something and, if, and somebody you love also wants it, you give it. When somebody who's asking for something from you that will be sacrificial for you, you give it. I'm going to tell you a story that's just coming to my mind right now. I hadn't planned to tell this story, but it's coming to my mind right now. A young co-ed met me after the service last week, last week, right here in this church. Because I was hanging around that front pew. If you don't want to chat, that's where I'll be. Not at the door, but right here, okay? So she comes. She has a little catch in her voice. I said, what's up? She hands me an envelope. She, said, she says, I've had a dream. And she described her dream to me. But she said, God came to me. I've never met this girl in my life. God came to me. She's a new student. God came to me. And God said, girl, that dream of yours, would you be willing to sacrifice for somebody else's dream? She said, I've been wrestling with this. And, Pastor, I need to do this. And she handed me an envelope. I said, what's in this envelope? She says, $800. She is chasing a dream herself. But she gave $800 as an act of worship to God. Now, listen to me carefully. That's what self-renouncing, self-sacrificing life is. You give it up for somebody else. Once in a while, we see it in the human race. The Word became flesh so that the glory of God, we could see it day in and day out. Isn't that amazing? God bless that young co-ed at Andrews University. Wow. In the light from Calvary, it will be seen that the law of self-renouncing love is a law of life for earth and heaven, that the love which seeketh not her own has its source in the heart of God. That's where, where did she get it from? She got it straight from God's heart. I mean, it was just mainlined into her. She was simply doing as God would do. Keep reading. And that in the meek and lowly one, the Word made flesh, is manifested the character. And I want you to see that word. The character of him who dwells in the light which no one can approach. The character. What is God's glory? It's his character. The Word becomes flesh so that we can see, see the character of God lived out in our midst. Wow. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. But so what? Yo, so what? I mean, yeah, big deal. What difference does the Word becoming flesh in our lives today make for us? What difference has the divine Christ becoming human made in the way you lived this last week? Has it made any difference? Did you even think about it? Look, what why is it good news that the Son of God is also the Son of Man? Here's the question. What does the humanity of Christ mean to you right now? I want to hear from you right now. Take out that phone of yours, will you? Come on. You've been dying to use it. Pull it out. Pull it out. You know, I called it smart. I said, it, it, this is first service. So I'm not kind of, I'm, we've never done this before, so I'm kind of learning as I go. They said, Dwight, they come up to me afterwards, Dwight, don't call these smartphones. It's just phone. Any phone can do this. And I'm thinking to myself, you know why I call them smartphones? Because any phone that can send a text is very smart to me. <laughs> well, no, no, that's a special category of phones. Just, just say take out your cell phone. Okay, would you just take out your cell phone, please? I'm going to put a question and a number on the screen. And I have Karen's iPad. 
Yeah, I'm hoping if I use this enough times, it becomes Dwight's iPad, see? So I'm trying to work it in here. I have Karen's iPad in the pulpit, all right? So I got to turn it on now because I am going to read what you send me in a split second. Now, don't put the, don't put the question up yet because I found it in the first church before I was even through. And I'm with people that I thought didn't know how to do this. Boy, did they embarrass me. I said, you, you dummy, don't you know we're as good as those kids? All right. So I got to turn this on, see? Yeah, I know how to do this. See? Whoa, how'd you do that, Dwight? I practiced. Okay. All right. Whoa. Okay, now here's the deal. I'm going to I'm I'm put the uh, question on the screen. I want you to answer it. No, don't put the question up yet. I want you to answer it. Just do this. You guys are incredible. I saw one guy do just all one hand. Could never read the text, but it was all one hand. Okay. Okay, here comes the question. And by the way, those of you who are watching live streaming right now, this is for you too. Anywhere in the world, you can, you can text this number. All right? So, here's the question. What does the humanity of Christ mean to you right now? I don't need a paragraph or an answer. I just need a few words. Okay? Come on. Get those thumbs moving. What does the humanity of Christ mean for you right now? Oh, my. It is working. Mission control. Whoa. This is working. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm up here at the top. The problem is that the top keeps changing. All right. I'll give you just a little more time. Send. Okay. Text the number on the screen. Answer the question, what does the humanity of Christ mean to you? It means, hey, here, here we go. It means he's approachable. Oh, I like that. It means he's approachable. It means hope for me. Here's another one. It means companionship. It means life more abundantly. Here's one. It means he can relate to me. Spot on. He can relate to me. He can relate to me. I better step up my game. Very good. Love beyond understanding. You got that right. It means life. One word. That he became flesh, it's life for me. Oh, I like that one. Where where to go? Man, these are going. I'm up to 302 already. (laughs) Come on, guys. I can't get all of you in. Slow down. Okay. I just go to the top. Everything. Oh, I like that one. What does it mean to you? Everything. Open door to divinity. Ooh. It means now I have an open door to God. Wow. That's all one person put. Wow. Yeah, that's a wow. Awesome. Here's another one. Awesome. Oh, don't go back. Go back. You know, this is technology. That's a problem with these things. I'm trying to get back. Maybe that's God saying you've had enough of these. That's Apple saying you've had enough of these. Okay, come on. View, yeah, okay, view. Okay. It means he understands my plight. It means I always have a friend. It means that we mean enough to God that he would do anything to see us in heaven. Isn't that good? Wow. 
It means God becoming one with us to save us. That's it. That's the bottom line. It means having, it means having a friend who is always there even if I can't see him. Wow. We're up to 478 now. It means that we mean enough to God that He would do anything to see us in heaven. Yeah. Can you believe that you mean that much to God, by the way? You mean so much to God that He became you to get you to live with Him. What's up with that? Uh, it means the opportunity to dwell with Him forever. Uh, hey, guys, you're all right. Everybody's right. Everybody's right. Now, I had to sum all of this up, your responses, before I even saw them. So here's how I summed it up. See if this works. Will you, please? I wrote this out. Here's what the, command, here's what the humanity of Christ means to us. Take your study guide again. Because the Word became flesh... We now know this truth about God. He is the God who is up close and personal. See, when you send a text message to me, that's not personal. I have no idea who this text message is coming from. It's just a bunch of numbers at the top. But when the Word became flesh, we now know this truth about God. He is the God who is up close and personal. That's a familiar third millennial expression, isn't it? Up close and personal. What's that mean? Because of the incarnation, because of the enfleshment of God, he's up close and personal. Would you jot this down, please? It means he's in our face some of the time. I mean, the drama's about to begin in the Gospel of John, and I'm telling you, Jesus is going after. I mean, he is in the face with a heart of love, but he's in the face of people who think they have it all together when they are bankrupt. He really gets in my face when Dwight thinks he has it all together. And man, you are, you are empty right now, boy. I'm in your face. You need me. You'll watch him do that again and again in these stories. In our face some of the time, but I love this next one, by our side all of the time. All of the time. All of the time. By our side. He's the God who's up close and personal. Just keep your pen moving. Who to be one with us became one of us. That's the truth. He wanted to be one with us, so he became one of us. And you can't get any closer than that, can you? No, you cannot. That's as close as it comes. I don't think you can express it much more poignantly than this. I'm going to hold this up. See if we can get a camera on this. I, I want you to have this book. This book is, the, is a paperback edition. Thank you. This is a paperback edition of Thank you very much. <laughs> Come on, stop. Okay. Adios. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> Are you doing that to me? Is somebody doing this? Can you do that from your cell phone? You can't? What, what, what should I do now, Jose? Just turn Yeah. <laughs> you watch this. This thing had never been shut off so fast in his life. Goodbye. Okay, can It's out of power now. I can't do anything. 
I want you to have this book right here. This is, this is the inspirational bestseller, the classic on the life of Jesus called The Desire of Ages. The reason I'm so excited about this particular one, which is why I want you to see the cover, because when you go to the bookstore, we've already told the university bookstore and the, and the Christian bookstore across the street here, alert them that you're going to be coming. This book is in the New King James Version, and that's why I want you to read The Life of Christ with a fresher translation than the Old King James. The Old King James is just tough sledding sometimes. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. The desire of ages. You know what? Why don't you join the journey? Just grab one of these. You've got the Gospels. We're going to be on this journey, you and I, for a few weeks. You can read ahead. Read ahead. In the bulletin, the, the, the reflection questions are all there so that you can know what next week's teaching is going to start focusing on. You can spend a week working over that chapter because we're going to go a chapter at a time when we get out of this prologue. Only one more time in the prologue. Reflections on September 11. That'll be next week from the prologue. The children of Abraham in the bosom of the Father. Don't miss next week. Once we get into the drama, it's just story. Bang, bang, bang. With teaching, teaching, teaching. Get a hold of this book. Let this book become a part of your worship journey. I'm going to read from this book. A couple quotations, then I'm going to tell you a story and sit down. All right? A couple quotations, tell you a story and sit down. Okay, so... And by the way, this is in your study guide, so pull your study guide out because you're going to fill this in. This is just dynamite, talking about poignant. I mean, what does this mean? What does the humanity of Christ mean to us? Watch this. Put it on the screen for you. This is Desire of Ages, that classic. Since Jesus came to dwell with us, we know that God is acquainted with our trials and sympathizes with our griefs. Every son and daughter of Adam may understand that our Creator, write it in, is the friend of sinners. You said that again and again. I read it right here in my iPad. You were saying it, saying it, saying it. But isn't that something? Our Creator is the friend of sinners. And then I just love this line. For in every doctrine of grace, every promise of joy, every deed of love, every divine attraction presented in the Savior's life on earth, we see God with us. That one line, by the way, one of you having worship in organic chemistry just starting these worships last week. You told me after first church, I, that was the line we focused on. So if you were in organic chemistry this week, you heard that line read. Wow. Wow. One more. Here's the other one. By his life and his death, Christ has achieved even more than recovery from the ruin wrought through sin. It was Satan's purpose to bring about an eternal separation between God and us. But in Christ, I love this, in Christ, can you believe this? In Christ, we become more closely united to God than if we had never fallen. You're going to be closer to God now than ever in the history of the universe because out of your fall, something happened between you and God, which is why you'll be in eternity. Wow. Through, okay, In taking our nature, keep reading now, in taking our nature, the Savior has bound himself to humanity by a tie that is never to be broken. Through the eternal ages, he is linked with us. It's not that suit of clothes that he takes off and says, hey, that was, this, was a, this was a great experiment. Sure glad it ended well. Are you kidding? He now has you forever and ever, amen. He is human forever and ever, amen. Fully God, fully man, forever and ever, amen. You don't understand what he had to give up to have five fingers and five toes and be limited to one place in time. He gave it up. 
He loved you so much. He loved me so much. Whoa. God has adopted the human nature in the person of His Son and has carried the same into the highest heaven. Keep going. In Christ, the family of earth and the family of heaven are bound together. Christ glorified is our brother. We have a brother in the universe who is one with us. One with us. We have a bro. We have a brother. Glorified Christ is our brother. And then this last line, it doesn't get more profound than this. Heaven is enshrined in humanity and humanity is enfolded in the bosom of infinite love. Up close and personal forever and ever. Amen. That's what the humanity of Christ means to us. Up close and personal. Now I end with a story that happened just this week. On the other end of the line, the voice of a woman from a state far from here, a lovely southern accent to her voice. I heard the voice say, I've been watching on television, and so I wanted to call you. And with that, she began the story of a life that has been crushed with difficulties. Her daughter's life has been messed up by drugs. Two children out of wedlock with different fathers. By the time she was through telling me about her daughter and those two grandchildren that the woman has brought into her heart and home, the woman is in tears. And then she told me about herself. She's fighting breast cancer. I mean, it just, just, it just kept compounding. But I knew that if I called you, you would pray for me. I said, you bet I'll pray for you. But I want to read a scripture first before we pray. And so I'm, she's on the phone, and I'm reaching over to get my Bible here at the office, and I pull it over. I said, I want you to listen to these words. Now, I didn't know that this sermon was going to... I didn't know that was going to be in the sermon. I didn't know where this sermon was going up close and personal. But I ended up reading one of those majestic promises, Isaiah 43, where God says, Do not be afraid. I am with you. When you pass through the waters, they will not overflow you. When you pass through the fire, it will not burn you. You are precious in my sight. So do not be afraid. I am with you. Up close and personal. That's what that promise is. So we read that promise together on the long distance phone. And then I said, I want to pray with you. But she says, I want to tell you one more story. I said, all right. She said, I want to tell you about my husband. She hadn't mentioned him. I said, okay. My husband recently died of cancer. And it's a dreadful cancer. He was a truck driver, called home every single night. He was her lifeline. And after he died, her little world just imploded upon itself. Sometime after his death, the grandchildren are staying with some friends. So she's in the house all alone. You got the picture? She's in the house all alone. She's lying in bed. It's pitch black. And all of that brokenness just wells up within her and she begins to sob into the darkness. God, don't you know what I'm going through? How could you do this to me? He was everything to me. My life is gone. And she's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And then she told me, all of a sudden, in the dark, 
She feels a presence right beside her. And then she says, Pastor, I'm telling you the truth. I heard the voice speak to me. And the voice said to her, I know how your heart aches. And I am so sorry. It was never supposed to have turned out this way. But I will be with you. I will be with you the whole way. And by this time, because I'm listening to a real life testimony, I'm, I, I got my eyes out of, I can't see. I'm trying to dry my cheeks. I don't want her to hear. I'm trying to get a hold of my voice. Do you know why those tears sprang to my eyes? I'll tell you why. Because I've heard that story before. I've heard that story before again and again, and it rings true just like God. He's done it. Wouldn't it be just like him, up close and personal? Guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better than Christ. That has to be. This Christ who is God up close and personal, that has to be about the best news you and I will ever hear in this life. Amen. Amen. Up close and personal. So I've got to tell you, I've got to be honest with you. I am praying. I have some friends praying. I am praying that this opportunity God is giving us to immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus, whether you do it here or dorm worships or co-curricular or wherever, this year I am praying that this opportunity Jesus is giving you to get up close and personal with Him, you'll not let it go. You know, I say, ah, come on, it's just another, it's just another journey. No, 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 no. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I mean, the stuff that's just been happening, I'm writing this fourth watch blog, you know, but the stuff that's been happening, I'm saying, can I take a little pause, God? Can I take a little pause in the sermon series? I want to get into the second coming again. No. I believe Jesus is coming soon. Now, listen carefully. He's coming. He's going to come when he has a people that he is enfleshed in up close and personal, so that when the world meets these people, they will see him incarnated, up close and personal. And so I'm inviting you, please, with all the earnestness of my heart, I am inviting you, please, don't miss this opportunity. Please, take, get a hold of the New King James Desire of Ages. Take your Gospels and every week between our Sabbaths together, every week, get up close and personal with Jesus. For the life of me, I can't think of what would be better news than that truth. <laughs>